What a beautiful day that our God has created for us to come together as his people, to open our hearts and our minds as we think about him, as we worship and praise him for who he is and for what he does for us in our lives. I appreciate the songs that our brother Matthew has chosen to lead us in this morning and to get our minds focused upon God and upon all that he has done for us. Uh, if you were at the nine o'clock session this morning, our brother Gavin spoke to us from the book of Colossians in chapter one, and a section in that particular chapter really emphasizing the preeminence, the fact that Jesus has first place in everything. And uh, I said to him after that lesson that uh, I think the things that he had to say were uh, really good preparation for this lesson this morning. As you know, if you are a member of this congregation, we are thinking this year about the theme of being more like Jesus. And we are talking at least one sermon each month in this particular hour about some things related to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to look at his life, to look at his example, to examine his teachings, to think about the miracles that he performed, to maybe look at some conversations that Jesus had as he walked here up on this earth and to just look at all the evidence that Scripture gives us pertaining to Jesus Christ. Of course, we don't have time in a year or even, I think, 10 years or 100 years to examine all that the Bible has to say to us about Jesus Christ. But we're picking out several things that hopefully will be good for all of us to consider. And that's what we want to do in this particular session this morning. When you think of Jesus Christ, what kind of thoughts come to your mind? As Gavin asked the question this morning, uh, how would you define Jesus? How would you think about him and what he is all about? If you had to describe him, what would you say? You might think about how he captivated the crowds by teaching, as the Gospels tell us, especially at the end of that great sermon that he preached there on the mountain in Matthew chapter 7, that Matthew gives us the reaction of the crowd there, that they were astonished, they were amazed, and they realized that Jesus was teaching them not as their scribes taught them, but he was teaching them as one who had authority. And so you might think about Jesus Christ in those terms, that he was teaching the crowds as one who had authority because he had it. You may think of how he left the multitudes in just total amazements by the signs and wonders and miracles that he performed, that even those who were his adversaries, those who were opposed to him and trying to stamp him and his upstart religion as they looked at it into the ground so that they wouldn't have to deal with this man or his followers anymore, none of them could deny the miracles that he performed. And you might think about that when you think about Jesus Christ. You may think of his matchless love as he laid down his life for us, as hopefully our minds have already been thinking about this morning. Or you may think about his ultimate victory as he defeated death, death and the devil by rising from the grave, that that was not the last word, that Satan would not have the last word, that there would be victory over his and our arch enemy. And while all of those thoughts certainly are worthy of our consideration, they are worthy of our remembrance. And I would say that they are good for us to consider, to think about, to remember, not just upon the first day of every week as we have just done, but every day of our life. 
When we think of Jesus Christ, we also ought to think of his compassion for people that he created. And so this morning in this second sermon in our 2023 theme of being more like Jesus, we want to see how we can be like him if we are truly claiming to be disciples and followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how can you and I be like him by being people like he was, being people who are moved with compassion? I want us to think, first of all, just about that word compassion for a couple of minutes. The word compassion can be defined in this following way. It is really the idea of having our bowels to yearn. That part of us that is really deep inside of us, if you will, in a figurative sense, to feel sympathy or to even feel empathy for someone, to pity someone. Just thinking about a common dictionary, a common American dictionary, English dictionary, the American Heritage Dictionary, which I like to use from time to time, gives this definition of the word compassion. It says it is a deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the wish to relieve it. And I I kind of like both of those definitions that it talks to us about uh, something when we are describing or talking about compassion that it is has an emotional component to it, but it also has something that is an active component And so putting both of those ideas together, I think at least helps me to come to the conclusion that compassion for someone else who is suffering, it ought to be something that cuts us to the very heart of who we are. It ought to be something that cuts us very deeply and affects us deeply, but it also ought to be something that motivates us to take action to relieve their hurt. We're going to look at some examples in the Gospel of Matthew this morning to see how Jesus, as he walked here upon earth, was moved with compassion, or he felt compassion, as a couple of these passages say. But I want you to understand, as we think about compassion, just as we think about it in general, and as we think about it specifically as it relates to Jesus and to us, that it is not something that we just feel for someone, that we just uh, are, are touched in our heart. But that feeling for someone, that sympathy, that empathy, that pity for someone who is suffering causes us to act on their behalf. And this is exactly, I believe, what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. He certainly did feel compassion for people, but it wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just an emotion that was here for a little while and then vanished away. No, he also acted on their behalf. And so as you read and study through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that those writers record numerous instances of our Lord Jesus Christ showing compassion for other people. However, for the sake of time, we're only going to consider three pictures of his compassion and all of those again from the Gospel of Matthew. Thinking about Jesus being moved with compassion, I want us to go first of all to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, at the very end of this text, to read a few verses here and consider the importance of what they are saying to us. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 35, Matthew says that Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. 
I think we kind of need to go back in time a little bit, even here in the Gospel of Matthew. We're not going to take the time to look at all of these references. But if you go back to here in Matthew, back to chapter 4 at verse 23, at the very beginning at least as Matthew records that for us, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, I think Matthew does a good job here in Matthew 4 and verse 23 of, of briefly summarizing the work of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says to us there at verse 23. Uh, he says that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And now as we come to the text that we have just read here in Matthew chapter 9 at verse 35, again, it seems that Matthew is summarizing what Jesus is doing. I, I realize he is talking about a specific part or portion of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, but going back to chapter 4 and verse 23, that's really describes the, the uh, totality of his earthly ministry. It was summarized in these three ways that he was teaching, that he was preaching, and that he was healing those who were sick. And perhaps Matthew records it here again at chapter 9, although he has much said the same thing back at chapter 4 and verse 23, because this is really what this whole chapter, Matthew chapter 9, is about. It is about Jesus teaching. It is about him preaching or proclaiming the kingdom of God. It is about him healing those who were brought to him. Notice all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, we have here the account of the paralytic that was brought to Jesus and he was healed. We have then next the Pharisees that were in Matthew's house and Jesus takes the opportunity to talk to them. I, I, I kind of interestingly, uh, in terms of what we're thinking about this morning and Jesus showing compassion, and he makes this statement to them there at verse 13. You need to go and learn what this means, that I desire compassion and not sacrifice, that I came to call the righteous, not sinners. Uh, uh, came to call the righteous, uh, did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We have next in this section about the disciples of John coming to Jesus and Jesus has a teaching opportunity there to answer some of their questions. Jairus' daughter, he comes to find out, has died. And so he goes to uh, her house and he heals her. He brings her back to life. We have the woman with the hemorrhage that had an issue of blood for 12 years and he heals her. She touches his garment and she is healed. We have the two blind men. And there's an opportunity for Jesus to teach and to heal them as well. The mute, demon-possessed man. And then we come to this last section that we just read here, the scattered sheep. And so all throughout this chapter, one chapter here in Matthew 9, we have, I think, the mission statement, if you will, of Jesus Christ as he came here to earth to teach and to preach and to heal. So in all of those examples, Jesus is either proclaiming the gospel or he is healing someone or Many times he is doing both. But what this chapter, as well as the rest of this Gospel of Matthew, shows us is that Jesus had compassion on a wide variety of people in a wide variety of circumstances. Again, I would call your mind back to verse 13 where he says that it's not those who are healthy, verse 12, who need a physician, a doctor. It is those who are sick. And that he desires compassion. Also notice as the two blind men have come to him in verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. That his mercy, his compassion was not available just to a select few. But his mercy, his compassion was open 
to all. And yet I believe it also shows us that while Jesus Christ was concerned about the whole person, he healed the physical maladies and diseases and sicknesses of people that he came in contact with. That his emphasis, it seems to me, in showing compassion was always upon people's spiritual needs. And I want you to look at this whole chapter in that light. Go back to verse 2, as we just mentioned there about the paralytic. And obviously he was healed physically, but notice what Jesus says, the words that came out of his mouth, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Yes, Jesus knew that this man was a paralytic, that he could not walk. But where is Jesus' mind in relation to this man and his situation in life? It is first and foremost upon his spiritual condition, isn't it? His spiritual sickness of sin. At verse 12, he said, It is not those, again, who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. In verse 22, he says, Your faith has made you well. In verse 29, he says, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And so, yes, again, Jesus showed compassion. He had mercy and pity and sympathy and empathy for people's physical conditions. But more than that, he had compassion for their spiritual sickness of sin. I believe he healed people's physical sicknesses and diseases to try to show them and perhaps all those who were observing that particular miracle or listening to that teaching to show all who were in the audience of their need to come to him and their need to come and be healed of their spiritual disease. That he had the power to heal people physically, but more than that and greater than that, he had the power to heal people spiritually. And so with all of that as a background, we come back again to the last few verses of this chapter that we have read just a moment ago. And as Jesus is traveling through the cities and the villages, there are these massive crowds that are coming to him, that they are hearing as time goes on who he is and what he has done, what he is capable of. And when he saw them, notice that Matthew tells us there at verse 36, when he saw the people, he felt compassion for them. And why did he feel compassion for them? Because maybe some of them were paralytics? Because some of them were blind physically? Because some of them could not talk? They were mutes physically? Well, I'm sure he saw that. But notice that Matthew makes the point here in verse 36 that he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Yes, many of them no doubt had physical maladies that only Jesus had the power to cure. But when Jesus, what Jesus saw was their spiritual problem. That there were a bunch of people that he had created. Here were a bunch of people who had absolutely no spiritual purpose, no spiritual direction, no spiritual focus in their life. They were just out here going from place to place, bouncing off this thing and then that thing. They were like sheep, as Matthew says, without a shepherd. They had no spiritual guide to lead them in the way of life. And so, Matthew says that he showed compassion to them. How did he do that? Yes, he healed them. But before he did that, at least as it's recorded for us here in verse 35, again, he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He showed compassion by teaching them. 
the gospel of the kingdom by sending even his disciples out to do this very work as they worked in his harvest. As the last couple of verses of this chapter say, as he was saying to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of harvest that he might send out workers into his harvest. But I think this is one of those places where it's unfortunate that we have a chapter break. Because look at the next chapter, chapter 10 and verse 1. Matthew goes on to say, immediately after that conversation and that event, that Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then he gives them some instructions before he sends them out. He chooses those 12 men that will be his apostles, the ones sent. In verse 5, the 12 Jesus sent out after instructing, uh, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. Yes, he sent them out. He endued them with power and authority to heal sicknesses and diseases, to cast out demons from those who were possessed by such. But in doing that, he wanted them to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. The second example that we want to look at here in the Gospel of Matthew to think about Jesus being moved with compassion is found over in chapter 14. Chapter 14, let's begin reading there at verse 13. Matthew 14 beginning at verse 13. Here Matthew says to us, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we are here. We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the two, five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who, who ate besides women and children. This, of course, is what we know as feeding the 5,000. Of course, as Matthew just told us there at the last verse we read, there were more than 5,000 that were here. Just that was the number of the men that were numbered on this occasion. So you may have 8, 10, 12,000 people. I don't know exactly how many. But a huge crowd of people have gathered here to listen to Jesus teach them. I want you to go back to the very beginning of the section that we just read, back to verse 13. Matthew says there, when Jesus heard about John, this is his cousin, John the baptizer. He has talked about earlier in this chapter. And you might remember uh, his faith that uh, because he stood up and uh, talked to Herod about uh, this woman that he had that should not be his wife, that he tried to please uh, his wife and, and had him, John the baptizer, beheaded. But when Jesus heard about that news that John the baptizer had been beheaded, 
He got into a boat, Matthew says. He withdrew from the crowds. He was wanting to get away. He went to a secluded place, the text says here. And as we read in other accounts, he was wanting to get away to talk to his heavenly father. Think about how you would respond if you knew not only a close relative, but a close friend and one who had come and devoted his entire life to preparing the way for people to receive you as the Messiah was now dead, how you would react. You probably wouldn't want to be around people very much. But the text also goes on to say that when he got to the shore, that there was a large crowd there. That there were people who were following him around all over the place because they had heard what he had taught. They knew the power that he had. And he wanted again to be alone to commune with his father. But the crowds would not let him. I want you again to try as best you can to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus Christ on this occasion. Some of us might have said, well, I'll get around to teaching again later. I'll perform miracles. I'll heal people of whatever physical maladies they have. I'm going to do that later. I'm going to take this time right now to reflect and to be in prayer alone with my heavenly father. Jesus could have been upset with the people for following him. He could have been irritated with their lack of respect for his privacy on this occasion. But the text indicates none of that. He, he was not. Rather, Matthew says to us here at verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, what? And felt compassion. He felt compassion for them. Why was that? Well, I think we need to go to Mark and Luke's account just very quickly to give us a little bit of additional information. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, Mark says that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them. Much like the text we just read a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 9. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Luke says much the same thing over in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 11. Notice what he uh, says here. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Well, Jesus felt compassion for the multitude because again, as we just read in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here is Jesus obviously being greatly affected by John, the one who had, the forerunner who had gone before him to prepare the way. And his voice has been silenced. How could he not be affected by that? And yet his mind, because his mind was always, it seems, on his mission, his mind was on these people. And again, not so much their physical condition, but their spiritual condition. That here he sees this great crowd of people coming toward him and he feels compassion for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to notice how he showed compassion to this large audience. First, by teaching them many things about the kingdom of God. And secondly, by healing them. Thirdly, by feeding them. Yes, he was concerned about their physical condition and their physical needs. But it seems to me, again, his priority was first upon their spiritual needs. He was moved with compassion. 
The third example that we want to think about from the Gospel of Matthew is the conversation that he had with two blind men. Uh, we looked at two, uh, two blind men back in chapter 9. This seems to be uh, a different situation a little bit later on. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 29, Matthew says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, verse 34 says, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. So Jesus now is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, Matthew tells us. It is now just a little over a week before his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. His mind is set toward Jerusalem, as Luke would tell us in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, I believe it is. But again, as he is traveling along from Jericho to Jerusalem, just like the other two instances that we've already seen, there was this large crowd that was gathering to him, that was following him from place to place. And as Jesus was walking by, Matthew says, these two blind men heard that he was passing by and they shouted just as loudly as they could, Lord, have mercy on us. They are wanting Jesus Christ to show compassion to them, They obviously had heard of his power to heal their blindness, but they had also heard that he was a compassionate man. It's interesting to me how the crowds reacted here, how Matthew records that at verse 31. Here were the crowds, at least the New American Standard says, the crowds were sternly telling these men to be quiet, probably thinking, you know, Jesus is too busy to be bothered by this. Much like his 12 disciples and apostles did from time to time, right? When the little children wanted to come to Jesus and they're trying to hurry Jesus along or scatter these little children. He doesn't have time for the little children. He has come to be the Messiah of the world. And so I think there is a lesson for us even in that. But they're thinking, you know, Maybe Jesus is too busy to be bothered by this. And so these two blind men shout even louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy, show compassion to us. I think you see here, at least I see here in this particular account, a great contrast between Jesus and the crowds. That here are the crowds that didn't seem to have much, if any, compassion upon these blind men. And in contrast to that, Jesus obviously did. He stopped. Yes, he was going on an important mission, the most important trip of his life, to go to Jerusalem and all the things that were awaiting him there. But he stopped. And I like again how Matthew records it in this particular account that he not only felt compassion for them, but he was moved with compassion and he was moved with compassion to touch their eyes and heal them so that they would now see his mind, again, could have been preoccupied with his own impending death that would occur in just a short time. And yet here was Jesus Christ, as Gavin has reminded us this morning, the preeminent one, the one who has created all things, for whom all things are created. And he stopped. 
And he stopped long enough, not only to, uh, he stopped long enough to show compassion, to have mercy on these two blind men. And in so doing, I would suggest to you that surely he was teaching them. And he was teaching this great crowd that was observing this miracle because he was trying to teach them and all people in us today that he not only had the power to restore the physical side of these two blind men, but more importantly, he has the power to give spiritual sight to those who are blind in that sense. And I want you to notice what Matthew tells us here at the very last verse of this account in verse 34. Again, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. They could see again. John, John talked to us, if you were in the adult class this morning, about the contrast between darkness and light. And uh, I, like him, have been in a, a, a very dark cave where they turned all the lights out. And you're, you're right, you can't see <laughs> anything at all. You have no sense of where you are, which direction is up or down or east or west or anything. And you can just imagine these two blind men that have not been able to see. And now all of a sudden, Jesus has compassion upon them. He touches their eyes. And now they can see the world around them that He, Jesus, has created. But more than that, they can see spiritually that He is the Christ. He is the Son of God because they make the decision here. They don't just say, well, that's, that's great, that's nice. Now we can go about living our life. We can accomplish all these things that we had in mind that we weren't able to do when we were blind. No, Matthew says, they saw and they followed him. Don't you know that Jesus was teaching in this moment and showing compassion to them? Well, like Gavin said in his sermon this morning, up until this point, you may say, great, <laughs> that, that's good, that's nice. But I want us to think for the last few minutes about how we can make this lesson applicable to each of us, how we can bring the lesson home to us, to think about Jesus' compassion and me. As we are thinking about this particular study this morning in the greater context of our theme this year of being more like Jesus, how can we be more like Jesus? As impressive as it is for us to consider the, the great the abounding compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he lived here upon this earth. I believe the reason why Matthew was recording all of these events and many more is so that we will follow his example. Because if I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ, I need to remember that he has shown me great compassion. When I did not deserve the mercy of God, when I was separated from God because of my sins, because of my own selfish choices that I have made, I should have received the wrath of God. I should have received punishment from God. And yet he has chosen to show me compassion. He has done for me, for you and I, what we could not do for ourselves. He came to earth. He lived as a humble, obedient servant. He shed his precious blood upon the cross of Calvary, as we have remembered this morning. He overcame death. He has taken away my sin if I am a child of His, a follower of His. He has taken away my sin. He has transferred me, as Gavin read this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has transferred me from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. Do we know what has happened in our life? 
Do, do we really understand that? We, we have been blessed in the, in the last few months, over the last year or so, to have a, a number of people that have made the decision to give their life to Jesus Christ, to submit to Him, to make Him their Lord and their King. But when somebody goes down into the waters of baptism, they are buried with Christ and their sins are washed away and they come up out of the waters of baptism. And in the language of Romans chapter 6, they walk in newness of life. But do we really realize what has happened at that particular point that they have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light? I tell you what, that one truth alone ought to compel, be enough to compel you and I to show compassion not only for our fellow man, but also to show compassion for our spiritual fellows, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet too often I'm afraid it is the case that just like these multitudes that we have read about this morning, the crowds, if you will, of life, begin to take their toll on us so that we are too worn out. We're just too tired to show compassion to those who are in need. The, the noise of the crowd maybe begins to drown out their cries, just like the cries of these two blind men that we just looked at. Their cries for help so maybe that we don't even notice those who are in need. We're so wrapped up and caught up in our own life and in the trip that we are taking, if you will, through this life. And we have our goal and our agendas and we're so focused on that that we don't see all of these people on the side of the road, as it were. And yet if we are truly trying to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will be tuned in to the needs, especially the spiritual needs of those multitudes that are all around us every day, that are drowning in the sea of sin, we will stop whatever we are doing, as important as it may be at the moment, and we will show them the compassion of God, the same compassion that Jesus showed. Some of you that were here last year may or may not remember. Sometimes I, I have a hard time remembering what I preached a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> much less months ago, but... Sometime early in, in last year, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and such were some of you people, and there are all kinds of those people around us every day. People that we work with, people that we go to school with, people that we see that live around us on the same street, in the same neighborhood, people that we see on the ball field. There are people who are drowning in sin. And we want them to be such were some of you folks, to be changed. But it's going to take us many times showing them compassion, not dismissing their sins, not just really being concerned and caught up in their physical condition, whatever it might be, but to see people as Jesus saw people and to see their need for him. And so as we interact with our lost world, let us all remember that this is what Jesus desires and demands of us. Again, I take you back as we close this morning to the passage that we've already read and alluded to in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 12. When Jesus heard this and the complaints of the religious leaders back in verse 11, that they are asking the disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Why is he associating with these folks that we know are the scum of the earth? Jesus heard this and he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, 
For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And of course, I think it's Luke's account adds there, sinners to repentance. (laughs) Jesus was not calling sinners to remain in their condition. Jesus was not calling sinners and saying, "You're, you're fine just how you are. No, he was calling them out of darkness into light. He was calling them out of sickness into health. Let us, brothers and sisters, resolve that in our cold, cruel world that we will be people that are like Jesus. We will be the ones that are showing compassion to those around us who are hurting. Not only hurting physically, but more importantly, those who are hurting spiritually. Let us be attuned to that this day and this week. And let us be more like Jesus. What about you this morning? Are you like Jesus? As the song we're about to sing, I am the way. He, he is. He made a lot of exclusive claims when he walked here upon this earth. And people understood. <laughs> the religious leaders understood very well what he was trying to say, I think, because many times the text will tell us they knew that he was talking about them. And they did not react in a nice way. He said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way. If you want to get to God, you've got to come through me. Would you come this morning if you're not a follower of his and take advantage of the great compassion that he is offering to you? Would you come before this audience, confess your faith that Jesus truly is the Christ, the Son of God? Would you make a determination that you're going to turn away from your lifestyle of sin and selfishness and turn your life over to him? And do His will in your life, as we talked about in our lesson in this series last month. And then to submit to baptism, to be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, and to rise as a new creation. To show compassion, and to show love, and to show righteousness, and to show all the attributes of who God is to the people that live around us. There would not be a more worthy goal for your life than to do that. If as a child of God, you have walked away from God or you're slipping away from him, maybe you have forgotten the compassion that God has shown to you. And like the parable that Jesus told in the gospel of Matthew, you're not showing that same compassion to those who deserve that or who need that rather in your life. And you're not right with God. This is time for you to make yourself right with him, to admit your sins, and to get back into walking in the straight and narrow path. However, we might be of help to you this morning. Maybe you, you need compassion. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life that you're, you just can't handle on your own. And you need the strength and the prayers and the support of your brethren here to overcome that burden. Whatever your condition might be, if we can help you in some way, to think about that, to act upon that this morning, to respond to the invitation as we stand and as we sing.